The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. That's right. Welcome back to the Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore. This is Phil Mackey. Our well-publicized feud now over. We decided it's safe to We should to start jump. with that, actually. <laughs> well, just... let me turn our volume down here. I might have to turn mine up and yours down because my voice is at one-third capacity. Yes, that was, that was part of it. I think, well... I was feud... screaming my lungs out for every Twins home run last night, actually. <laughs> yeah. And this is what happens. Well, when six of them, and actually Sano's, I got a report today. We're recording this on a Wednesday instead of our typical Tuesday. Uh, report today from uh, actually North Roseville area and Sano's home run ball did in fact land today and oh, did. Okay. they're all safe everyone's okay. okay small crater uh on the street over there I think it was on Larpenter but I'd have to double check exactly I saw controversy on Twitter last night from the press box that it got a so little heated we now have very scientific ways to track ball flight yeah and uh I think Stat Tracker tracked it at like 444 feet. Yep. But the Twins estimated 466. And the Twins and a couple were beat writers took <laughs> so took mad. Took a couple of little shots at the Twins. Well, and, and and we'll get to our Tori Hunter. Dustin Morris tweeted the whole night. Twins yeah, PR director just retweeting everyone. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and I'll, I'll get to that story in a second. We'll we'll do our uh, Tory Hunter giveaway here too. Uh, we do have a winner. We're for... not giving away Tory Hunter himself. That's right. Bob will have Tory Hunter. And as we discussed on last week's show, it'd be doesn't... illegal if we took <laughs> claim to Tory Hunter. But yes, he didn't sign off on that. It <laughs> uh, doesn't even look that much like Tory Hunter, but it is a Tory Hunter Hall of Fame bobblehead, and he is robbing a home run. Um, just to wrap up the press box, little tete a tete. It was Rhett Bollinger, I think, that started the little brouhaha, and it was a. I'm overselling it. There wasn't much to it. He just said, "Not really sure why teams are still estimating home runs because our status or our uh, stat tracking thing, Statcast, which is under MLB, they tell us the home run distance very scientifically and like I wouldn't say irrefutably, but you know, it's a machine, it's a robot. They're designed to do that." And the twins were like, "Whoa, oh, come on!" Well, like, yeah. let's be honest. And I love, I love the twins, but sure. <clears throat> excuse me, if I can make it through this podcast, I think it's just someone with binoculars from the PR department, and they figure and out they where like, it landed. They have like a chart that they. Well, here's sort their of... argument. I'll give you the whole. This is like the blood and guts of it. This is the the nitty gritty meat and potatoes core of the argument. The twins scheduled to have like an architect or you know some math person come out and figure out, well, if a ball lands here, yeah. this is about how far it would have gone. Now, here's where you can easily take issue with that if you've taken a math class, which is, okay, Miguel Sano's ball hit that 460 spot wherever they measured it at, and according to their measurement, longest home run in target field history. So, obviously very impressive. No one's debating that. It's kind of semantical. But, like, his hit it still going up. It was on its way to Venus when the catch bar out in center field happened to get in the way of that meteor. Well, you could do the same thing. You could hit it, you know, 300 feet in the air, and it's a high, looping, arcing shot, and it could land in the exact same spot in the catch bar 
and that's as far as it would have gone. So it's like it depends on the angle, it depends on the velocity, all of this stuff matters. And the twins are like, well, no, and then I got in trouble on Twitter. This is the final thing I swear, and I'm done with it. I said, might be the longest home run in Target Field history, and. That's true, according to ESPN's home run tracker, because Jim Tomey's moonshot was 464. This Sano one, the Twins say, is 466. And someone got on me on Twitter and said, well, Harmon hit one 520. Okay, one first of all, if okay, if the home run that Miguel Sano hit last night, which, by the way, if you're sitting in that catch bar, you have no Second reason deck. to ever think that a baseball hit from home plate is going to come anywhere near you. To hit a ball over the 50-foot batter's eye is absurd. If that home run was only, quote-unquote, 444 feet... For, well, StatCast had 444. Okay, let's go 444 then. Yeah. Okay. Then nobody in baseball history has hit a ball 520 feet. Right. Nobody. That's right. You're saying that someone's going to hit a ball basically 25% or or 80, 80 feet? <laughs> What's the math on that? It'd be like 15 or 20% further yeah. than the ball well, Miguel Sano hit last night? No. No. Not happening. I'm and, sorry. And... This is no disrespect to a Twins legend or people who've done this job in the past. But think about how that was probably measured in Harmon's day. He hits a moonshot, and somebody gets their little traveling binoculars out and looks and says, Well, Phil, I think that one went to Country Mile. Right. (laughs) Well, Derek, a Country Mile is 520 feet. That looks about where that one landed. Right. If they really took a tape measure out there, good for them, but I severely doubt it, and I sincerely doubt that they even had the exact landing location either. If he hit that at the Met, it landed out in the prairie where the cows were grazing, there are and they just so had to many, pick a spot. There are so many things about baseball. Baseball clings to the past, and baseball is my favorite sport, your yeah. favorite sport. But, but to think that you know, ba- know. Babe Ruth, for instance— I feel like I've ripped on Babe Ruth about five times you on do. our radio You're show. You're anti-Babe Ruth. I'm not anti-Babe Ruth. But to think, for people who, who still say that Babe Ruth is the greatest hitter of all time. Pluck him into this era in 2017 and he'd be the best hitter in baseball. First of all, he eats hot dogs for his diet, okay? Like the guy the guy ate hot dogs and mainline beer, which is great, and I envy that, and I've done that at times in my life, too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not judging. No, I was going to say. He never faced, think about this, he never faced a Dominican pitcher, a Puerto Rican pitcher, a black pitcher. Uh-huh. He never faced a Venezuelan pitcher. He faced a bunch of... Probably double A caliber white guys who never would have made it, even if you like. Let's say you translate them to 2017 and give them the necessary training and things to sure. in, the, in the pitch repertoire. So, anyways, yeah, no, no one has ever hit a ball 520 feet. Well, if Miguel Sano's was 444, and, I'm sorry. And I, I love baseball too, Phil. But this is one thing that is sort of. I just chuckle at it. I know people get worked into a tizzy about it. I really try not to get worked into tizzies about anything. And so when I see this feud going on on Twitter, I just kind of sit back and laugh and grab the popcorn. And baseball, more than any other sport, this is the this is the non-controversial take of the day. Baseball, more than any other sport, wants to celebrate its old legends and its old heroes more than its present-day heroes. Like Hockey does this a little bit. They're like, well, scoring's down in the NHL today because Wayne Gretzky retired. It's like, oh, stop, hold on. Wayne Gretzky played in a a scoring-free environment where just there were nine goals a night, and you just had to pick who was going to score them. Or the goalies are just smoking cigarettes (laughs) off to the side of the goal. You know, go ahead. It's fine. Uh, Well, and in baseball, it's... 
Yeah, Sano crushed that pitch, and it was against a big fastball, and it was the optimal launch angle, and about as hard as any human's ever swung before. But Harmon hit it farther. It's like, no, come on! It's can it can it both be impressive? Can't Harmon have been a majestic home run hitter who was ahead of his time as a three true outcome hitter and you know one of the best players in Twins history? Yeah. And Miguel Sano can be a wonder child, twenty four year old man beast. <laughs> like, can't we just have both? So I, don't I get it. I don't mean for for our older listeners who've now abandoned us as of uh, three minutes ago on this podcast. We apologize for crapping on baseball's past. I was going to say it's but because... Miguel Sano is is the new he is the new Paul Bunyan. And yes, so, Jim 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 Tomey, hand over your, <laughs> your, axe, your your everything, your axe, your flannel shirt, and your big yes. blue ox. Let's give away the Tory Hunter bobblehead That's before right. we get too distracted, and then we can dive into other topics. Last week, I think we I don't remember what we were celebrating. Maybe it was just Tory Hunter's triumphant uh, odd, uh, broadcast. Yeah, his his debut in the broadcast booth that went well, according to all reports. Uh, so we're giving away a Tory Hunter Hall of Fame, a Twins Hall of Fame bobblehead, uh, and we asked a trivia question. It was who, which pitcher did Tory Hunter hit the most career home runs off of? Yes. Do you remember the answer? I do remember the answer because I got a lot of people emailing me with this person's name, and I thought, what? Oh, yeah, we asked a trivia question. <laughs> it was super out of context and <laughs> random until you remember that we asked a trivia question. Esteban Loiza. Yeah, how about that? Uh, White Sox. I think he pitched for about eight different teams, but Torrey Hunter hit five career home runs off Esteban Loiza. And I didn't get it when you asked me before our podcast last week. I said, I want to get this. I think I could. I think I guessed Mark Burley, and he said, no. Close. You might have guessed Freddie Garcia at one point. I did point say too. Freddie Garcia, and I want to say I got a couple of people saying John Danks. John Danks is close, but it's not right. He had four home runs off Danks. Esteban Loiza with five round trippers. So. Esteban Loiza, who randomly had an amazing season in, I want to say, 2004 or okay. five or 2000, one of those years, 12 years ago. Yeah, where was, he flirted with a Cy Young Award and wow. had. Uh, led the league in ERA and strikeouts or something, and then the rest was pretty mediocre. After you told me the name, I said I wouldn't have gotten that. But it's uh, good on everyone who apparently knows how to use BaseballReference.com because <laughs> I, we probably had a lot of people looking it up. But our winner, randomly chosen from the people who emailed us the correct answer, is Jason G. And Jason, I would try on your last name, but... Man, I just don't want to embarrass myself by uh, pronouncing it wrong. So, Jason, we will email you. You're getting a Tory Hunter Twins Hall of Fame bobblehead. Congratulations. Awesome. All right, into the hashtag content for the episode here. Hey, guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three-plus decades, and there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. I have a bold proclamation to make after the Twins destroyed the Oakland A's last night. I'm drinking a little more Kool-Aid than I ordinarily would based on six home runs and Miguel Mm -hmm. Sano leading the league in RBIs. I thought we dumped the rest of that Kool-Aid out in Fort Myers because it was right after our, like, we're slugging Twins Kool-Aid episode that Trevor May was lost for the year with Tommy John surgery and... Well, they had their last home stand. They no, were two I actually, and seven. I actually froze a supply. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
and now it's back in liquid form, yeah, and I nice. and I guzzled it. So I feel like the conversation ever since Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have taken over has been about long-term, three-year, five-year rebuild. Look at the Astros. They lost 110 games a couple years in a row. New front office. Strips down the payroll. Be patient. It took five years. Theo Epstein, 2012, takes over. Actually, yeah. it was late 2011. Took over the Chicago Cubs. Stripped it down. They lost a bunch of games for three or four years. And then they busted out in year four, year five, and it, it takes time. I'm here to tell you the Twins are a lot closer to competing for a playoff spot and competing in the American League with some of the other top teams. I'm not saying that they're going to make the playoffs this year. I'm telling you this shouldn't be a five-year rebuild. Yeah. They have, let me give you an example, for instance. I went back and looked up the Cubs' opening day lineup when Theo Epstein took over. Okay. So the Cubs' opening day lineup in 2012. Huh. I wouldn't be able to guess it, but I have an idea of the kinds of names. Can you guess three of the eight? Eight because there was no DH. Uh, Cubs 2012. So we're talking five years ago. Yep. Um, that would have been before the Rizzo trade. Bryant wasn't there yet. Bryant might have been drafted in 2012. I think you're correct on that. Um, yes. Man, this is going to be so. One hard of them for is me. pretty obvious, but not top of mind right now. No, I mean, I'm thinking of guys like Juan Pierre, the Juan Pierre Cubs. I'll give you the eight. Okay, yeah. This <laughs> That's is a just, little further back. Yeah, we're going too many. Mark Grace, is he on that list? He's uh, No, he's not. He's, uh, <laughs> Mark Grace was, Mark Grace, I think, went through some legal issues. It's going to be Mark Grace, Moise Salou. <laughs> yeah, they're all peeing on their hands. So when Theo took over the Cubs, the cupboards were so bare and the opening day starting lineup was basically all washed-up vets or journeymen. Okay. That's where they started from. Yeah. The Twins, and I'm going to give you the lineup in a second, the Twins aren't starting from this place. The Twins are starting there in some ways with pitching. They're not starting at that place with position players. The Cubs opened the season with David DeJesus. Oh, I should have got that. Darwin Barney. Starlin Castro. Was the third baseman uh, uh, Erasmus Ramirez? Uh, Aramis Ramirez. Aramis Ramirez, I'm no. sorry. I believe he might have been either gone by then or was he injured to start the season? I'm not sure what the deal was there. Alfonso Soriano. Oh. That's the obvious yeah, Albatross contract. Okay. Jeff Baker was their starting first baseman before wow. they traded for Anthony Rizzo, yeah, who took who could, two or three years to click. Who could forget? Marlon Bird. That's right. And Giovanni Soto. Mm. And I missed, uh, no, I said Starling Castro. He's been one, two, three, four, Castro. five, six, seven. I might have missed a guy in here somewhere. But, um, but that... That's where they started from. Now, they also had a jet pack up there, you know what's, because Theo Epstein yeah. and because resources, <laughs> for sure. appealing place to play. John Lester, with probably 10 teams going after him in free agency, including the Red Sox, who he came up with and, and they were ready to win a World Series, Chose. flat out said, I want to play here because I want to snap the 100, at the time, like 107-year uh, World Series drought. It shouldn't take five years Hell, it shouldn't take three years yeah. when Miguel Sano is already emerging as one of the best hitters in baseball. The light bulb is going on for Byron Buxton. And Max Kepler, really not being talked about at all, is having a great start to the season. Mm -hmm. All these guys are emerging into their primes. Brian Dozier is still on the team. Jorge Polanco can hit. This is a lineup. It is, and I was going to compare it to the way the Cubs acquired talent. We, I think we talked about that this winter. When Falvey and Levine took over, I keep going back to you got to have the base, you got to have a smart plan, 
and then you got to get lucky. The Twins might have the base. I don't think we're going to quibble on that. Like the 2019 lineup, scribble it out. You know, if if you're a fan sitting at home listening to this podcast, maybe plug in Nick Gordon at shortstop or something. Slide Jorge Polanco over to second base. Now you're feeling pretty good that the uh, third baseman's going to stick there, or f- at least you're feeling better right now than you were three months ago. And maybe he plays first base, and For you sure. have like a, a piranha infield of Jorge Polanco at yep, third or sure. something. Sure, and knows? and if you're the uh, if you're the fan scribbling this out right now, you're probably rejoicing the fact that in 2019 you're not going to be writing Joe Maurer's name into the lineup. But Kepler's in the lineup. Buxton might stick. We think, you know, based on the last week here, it looks like he's a big league hitter again. Uh, I don't think we're going to quibble on how the lineup looks, like if that's a good starting spot. Question where they're at with the pitching. I think that we're in agreement that they at least have a smart process in place or they're thinking about these things correctly. But then the luck factor is just impossible to look past. John Lester choosing to sign in Chicago because it's a great destination. That's not guaranteed for everybody. Um, Jake Arrieta turning from... Jake Arietta into Jake Arietta. That doesn't happen to every team, and maybe maybe Derek Falvey has the special sauce and he can make that happen with the Twins. But I don't think you could confidently tell me six pitchers who will definitely be on the Twins in 2019. And the way I look at it, that's a bit of a problem. You've got a there's some promising arms and stuff in the system, and of course there's always free agents and trades that could come up and radically change the landscape of your pitching staff. But it's just hard to say right now with confidence they will have a top 10 caliber pitching staff in three years from now. Sure. I, even if you don't, um, you're still going to be with this line. This lineup last year, we've talked about this, yeah. I think it was 14th and run scored. If this lineup stays intact, and some of it depends on if Brian Dozier is on the team for another contract. Sure. If you can't get what you were hoping to get in a trade, I don't sell him for 50 cents on the dollar. I pay him $20 million until he's 34 years old. Sure. Because Joe Maurer's contract comes off the books, and Irvin Santana's contract at some point will come off the books, and so will Phil Hughes. You have money to spend. If they continue to progress this way, this is a perennial top 10 offense. So you don't have to have the fifth best pitching staff in the league. Sure. You just have to be sort of league average with a really good bullpen. Yeah. And with maybe one or two horses at the top of your rotation that could translate to playoff success totally agree and where is that coming from right now right like well, we're, we're not you, is, is jose barrios gonna be up soon you'll see him but i don't think you'll see him this weekend that's been kind of the talk people are wondering when are we going to see barrios he's dominating in the minor leagues from what i'm from what i understand i'll put it that way the twins the way they're thinking about it and i'm i'm putting words into their mouth i should just say that this isn't a uh stone-cold report from the mouth of Derek Falvey, but from the brain of Derek Wetmore, reading the tea leaves and talking to some people around here, it does seem like they want his next call-up to be his last call-up. And you can quibble with whether you think that's the right strategy or not, but he's dominating in the minor leagues, as he did at this time last year, and then got up to the big leagues and couldn't get people out couldn't throw strikes when he needed to. He had problems with his fastball command. There was some talk that he was maybe tipping some pitches, and he said he's worked to cut that down after a couple of teammates pulled him aside and said, hey, I, I know when you're going to the breaking ball every time. Torrey Hunter was, was calling his pitches two you know springs ago. This is surprise people. Ricky Nolasco. Ricky hmm. Nolasco pulled Braille's aside and said, I know when your breaking ball's coming, kid. Like We all went through this, but as a 32-year-old in the big leagues, 
not an issue. Hmm. As a 20-year-old in the big leagues, maybe that's an issue. Maybe that's something you don't think about because there's so much other stuff going on. It's like starting a new job where you're hoping to get through the first day of work and remember where the bathroom is and how to get back to your seat. Well, then three years into it, it's funny. And this is personal experience. At Hubbard, I started there and only knew one way to go to the bathroom. It was two weeks later that I found out there's actually a closer bathroom and there's a shorter route to that bathroom that I was going to. Wasn't it you and I, too? Uh, Jack Morris oftentimes holds court five hours before the game in the press box at Target Field before Twins games. Wasn't he saying early in his career he was tipping his, I think, change-up? Maybe uh, split finger. Split finger. He'd that's dig right. into his glove. He'd fan the glove because exactly. you're trying to dig for that split finger grip. Yeah. He's got big hands. That's so a he... pretty common pitch to tip. Sure, it's not a common pitch to throw anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but you're trying to get you're trying to jam that ball in between your fingers and you're fanning your glove. So as what you he says it. he did when he was a young kid, I think I remember this story correctly, is he'd start with the split finger grip. Then no matter what pitch he's about to throw, he's yeah. looking for the catcher's sign with the split finger grip in his glove. And then if the pitcher calls for, I don't know what, I'm not familiar enough with Morris's repertoire, but let's just say he calls for a curveball, well, easier to get your hand out of a splitty into a curve than it is to go from the four-seam grip to jam that ball Without in between your knuckles. It. Right. Like you're tipping your elbow up just to get the leverage. And it's possible that Barreos was doing that and that that was hurting him. But there, my, my point is that there's a number of factors that caused him to struggle. And as much as as uh, you know, stats guys like myself like to sort of scoff at the idea that, well, it can't be nerves. Come on, it can't be nerves. Everybody gets nervous and then they level out and then they're fine. I disagree. I think that there's some certain amount of performance anxiety that goes on with any athlete, and some just get better at taming that beast than sure. others. I'm not saying Boreos is a nervous wreck and he's never going to make it, but I do think that that actually was a valid part of his struggles. So, anyways, a long way of answering your question. And then I'll get to your other question. You're going to see him at some point. If I had to guess, I'd say it's in June. And I'm fine you, with that. You want it to be sooner than later, right? You want to see him cut his teeth at the next level and get here. Just get here and then figure it out and adjust on the fly and get hitters out here. You're not really proving it to anybody. If you're getting AAA hitters out, you're better than them. He is. He's just better than that level. But if he's not doing it, in a way that they think is replicable at this level. I think that's sort of the rationale for, well, maybe it makes some sense he, then to let him slow cook down there, then get up here ready to dominate, not up here ready to clasp, grasp, what's the word I'm looking for? Clutch and grab and claw and try to get hitters out. Like, you know, they want him to come up here and dominate and never go back. Yeah, and I'm not sure he would right now. It's not for him. It's not really, it's not that he doesn't have ability to throw pitches over the plate, because that's clearly not been an issue in the minor leagues. He's doing it in Rochester. Does he have pinpoint control? I think clearly no when he gets to the big leagues. Maybe nerves play into that. This is one of the things we talk about when you and I will sit and watch a baseball game together. We used to watch. We used to do the podcast on Sundays, so Sunday night baseball would be on. We'd get done with the podcast, posting it, we're watching the Cubs or something. And it was cool to hear you talk about this, because I, this isn't something that I had heard other people talk about, but it's like how I watch baseball. If you're really locked in on the baseball game, and not kind of doing other things. Because I do that too. Hey, I'm guilty. I could be writing a call on that day, but I'll still be maybe working on something else and I'll miss a pitch here or there. It happens. It happens all the time. It's easy to 150 pitches per team per game. It's easy to miss some of them. But if you're watching it and you're really locked in on key at bat and you look where the catcher sets up, this is the kind of thing that they'd be talking about with Barreos. That catcher sets up 
on a left-handed hitter on his inside hip, and he wants you to front door that breaking ball. So start it at the guy's hip and let it break across the plate and just snip the inside corner there. Okay, let's say you hit the outside corner. You're trying to hit that spot, but then you hit the outside corner. Umpire rings him up anyways. It's a strikeout. It goes down in the book. Hey, good for you. But the catcher had to lunge across the plate. It's not what he was looking for at all. And minor league hitters either aren't good enough at having that eye or they're going to chase a pitch that was outside of the strike zone. The Twins might see that and not think a strikeout is a strikeout is a strikeout. They might see that and think, sure, good for you, and that's going to go in the stats book, and that's a good thing. We'll take the strikeout. But we'd really like to be able to have you do the kinds of things that you'll need to do at the next level to continually have success. I, I think where he and I and I don't. That's speculation, I, by the way. I, I should throw that out. That's my sure. read into the situation. I feel like I've been told this a couple times throughout the years, well, at least going back to last year, about Barrios. He has the same problem, quote-unquote problem. Call it, call it a hurdle. It's just a hurdle to get over. Yeah. That Francisco Liriano had post-surgery. Okay. Where even post-surgery, Liriano was throwing 92-93 with a ton of movement mm-hmm. and had a wipeout slider still. He was still, just stuff-wise, among the 98th percentile of starters after surgery. Right. Before surgery, he was he had the best stuff in baseball. Yeah. He was throwing 97 with movement, and his slider was 90, 91, 92. But if somebody would square him up, which is inevitable if you play baseball, if you, if you pitch for a living, right. no matter how good you are, you're going to give up hits. Look how many hits the greatest pitchers of all time That's gave right. up. You're going to give up home runs. Burp Lylevin's in the Hall of Fame. The guy gave up like 50 home runs one year. So you're going to give up solid contact and loud contact to the best hitters in baseball, to yeah. John Carlos Stanton, even to the guys who are just middle infielder slappy hitters. The problem for Liriano was somebody would take him deep or somebody would square him up and hit a line drive to left field or something. And instead of just being like, okay, that's baseball. He got me this time, but I'm going to get them 95% of the time because... <laughs> yeah. I'm really good, and I'm and I have amazing stuff. Yeah, he would start to think, oh, I need to make an adjustment now, or I need to be more fine, or I need to, oh, I need okay. to go for strikeouts. So instead of just throwing his stuff, and I don't have a way to quantify this, but after loud contact, I feel like he frequently went two and zero, three and zero, three and one, because now he's trying to slider off the plate instead of working off the fastball. Now okay. it's screw you, I'm I'm wipe out slider, wipe out slider. That's right. Well, they're going to lay off that pitch huh. early. Having the ability to to trust and be confident in your ability and your stuff when you're getting squared up once in a while is a challenge for some pitchers when they get to the big leagues for the first time. Jose Barrio strikes me as pretty similar. He doesn't have to be pinpoint on the corners or no. or be or be throwing the perfect pitch in the perfect count every single time. Yeah. He can throw his stuff and still probably post a three and a half ERA and and limit loud contact, but he, he gets worked up in his mind that he, he, has, to, he has to be per- He seems like a perfectionist to you me. You can tell. He is. Very much so. He's a very driven guy. And That's a problem. Those, like, this, isn't, this is probably a bad phrase to use. I was going to say, he's a quad A type personality. Like, you know how there's type A, type double A. He's type quad A kind of guy. That's why you see all these workouts posted to Instagram and all that stuff. That's not to suggest that he's a quad A pitcher. Yeah. Because I think... <laughs> I don't think he is. But... <laughs> I think he'll be a successful big leaguer. Like, people think I'm down on Boreos. I'm not down on Boreos. It's just the answer's not there yet. And let me amend what I said earlier, too, that I think you'll see him in June. If Kyle Gibson continues to be terrible and unusable, 
there's no excuse if you're the Twins to you don't have the luxury this season to sit on your high horse and say, well, we want the next time we call him up to be the final time. That's something good teams can do. That's something or really, really bad teams that aren't in competition. Fine, you can keep, uh, you know. Not that you're going to Chris Bryant, a, a guy like Barreos. That's not it's not a contract thing anymore. Um, but that you would, if you are going to lose a hundred games, you'd rather the guy who's going to be part of the solution. You'd rather he learns his lessons in the international league and not the major leagues. But if the Twins need two or three rotation spots, it's pretty hard to you know to say. Well, whatever. We'll just go get the next guy. Whoever's in line at AAA Rochester, yeah, send him up. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, they already have one open spot, and they're about to have another one, like you said, if Kyle yeah. Gibson doesn't get his bleep together. And, I mean, Nick Tepish can get some innings for you, but do you feel he's real 30. great about that? Right? Is he 29 or 30? He's yeah, not a prospect. Like, uh, 28. He's, he's not a prospect. But if he can get some innings for you, whatever, this that's fine. You take that back-end kind of starter guy. And then Alberto Mejia, I think you maybe see him before Burrells, but, like, I eventually it becomes pretty hard to justify you know this absurd strikeout rate in the minor leagues even if you don't think they're the perfect kind of strikeouts and pretty good com- command control just based on the fact that he's not walking the park and 100 pitches complete game shutouts you know like eventually it gets absurd the scales tip and you just say okay well we got to figure out what we've got here but i do think that i sense that the twins are more cautious and more um, patient with it, I guess, than other people. It, it seemed like you were going to ask a question, like on Boreos being. I I talked about not knowing who the top end starters are necessarily. I think my in voice, my voice died in the last three minutes. So I, <laughs> I, I did ask a question, but it didn't. Tra- it, it didn't actually come out loud. No, the co- <laughs> yeah. well, your mouth was moving, and I thought there was. Yeah, I thought there was maybe a thought being connected, but then again, we've never connected a thought on this podcast. So why start now? I am curious to see is Boreos. Is Barrios an ace, or is Barrios like a good number three on a good pitching team? I think it's more of the latter. I think the the most likely outcome is that he's a solid three. I think there's a 5% chance that he doesn't make it. I think there's a 5% chance that he's a rotation force at the front end of a staff who's contending. But everything in the middle, to me, is like more on the table. It's most like he's a three. He could be a four. I mean, maybe he's a two. I don't really love the numbers, really, besides ace, mid-rotation, back-end, depth. That's kind of how I think about I it. I think he's going to wind up being—think about it this way. There's aces, there's playoff rotation guys, and then there's back-end. There's three categories for me. Sure. So Clayton Kershaw's an ace. Madison Bumgarner's an ace. There's— 20 aces or 25 aces in the game. Tops. The Twins haven't had one in, in 10 years. And Irvin Santana is having a really good start to the season. He's been really good since last July. I don't think I'd put him in the if he's on ace the, category. If he's on the Dodgers, which game is he starting in the NLDS? He's starting game two or game three. Uh, yes. At best, yeah. And you'll, and you'll take that. For sure. I think Jose Barrios is a playoff rotation guy, sure. not an ace. I agree with I that. I think he's better than back end. And I think you'll start to see that this summer. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I still think, let's say, so let's just agree to agree on calling him a three. In 2019, he's your third best pitcher. On a good team. On a, on a, on a, if you are contending for the American League pennant, he is your number three. Tell me who those first two guys are, and I'll start to buy into the Twins are way ahead on this rebuild. But here's the thing. 
I just don't know who they are. And that's really hard for me then to say they're way ahead. I do think that people are too down on the Twins. I said that all winter. I think that the Twins are you know, a decent team that might mess around and contend this year. It's totally possible that they're one of those 500 teams knocking on the second wild card. But World Series parade, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to go there yet. Put That's my hot yard. take for the day. You don't need an ace caliber pitcher when you have Miguel Snow hitting bombs yeah. into the second row of catch every night. And we apologize to the residents of Roseville too, right, for that meteor. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's he's an MVP candidate right now. What more can you say about the guy? April MVP or full season. <laughs> You can find out more about the April MVP race at 1500ASPN.com. You know, let me, so as you mentioned that, and we, we'll get out of here, but because uh, we got to go watch a baseball game. But uh, just some on-air therapy here. I mentioned our feud at the top, and that's the one thing that uh, I'm I'm taking exception with for you. You call me out on the radio, that's fine. You guys bust my balls all the time. I don't care. But to chime in in the middle of a conversation in which Judd and I, and touch them all listeners, if you didn't catch the last episode, I posted this argument on the last episode. So go download that and listen to it. Um, We talk about Irvin Santana versus Miguel Sano as April MVP for the Twins. An interesting talker. And Phil crossed his arms and pouted and had a temper tantrum in the corner. Not interesting at all, by the way. And you said to me... No, 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 i sorry. You you cut in and said to your producer, while Judd and I were talking, and you said, hey, by the way, I'm not going to talk because this is a boring thing. I'm bored by this. There's, that's my exception. I'll take exception with that one thing, that you, it was such a okay, disinteresting let's, let's, conversation. Let's leave it up to the touch of all listeners, because these are the hardcore, yeah. geekiest baseball fans of all. This this audience will will love baseball more than the mass audience. Right. Of Mackie so and Judd. validate Mass one audience of, in air quotes, by the way. <laughs> yeah. what, what would you call it's it? A, it's uh, a simple question, and you can respond to us on Twitter, at Derek Wetmore, at Phil Mackey. Do you care who the monthly MVPs are for the Minnesota Twins? Is can, it worth a debate? Can I put an addendum on that? That, like, would you read a, you know, a thousand-word column Jesus, talking about... a thousand words? This, this oh, everything I write. I need a TLDR <laughs> at the beginning. I know, yeah, I should do that. Do, like, a little summary. <laughs> hey, here here are my thoughts, but, like, if you're not going to have enough time to read this whole thing, here's, like, one sentence of what I think. If, if you're interested in this stuff, let me know, or if you hate it, let me know, and I'll change my course. But that was my argument, was that the debate over who wins it doesn't matter. It's the conversations that it opens around it. Well, can pitchers be MVPs? Well, Sano's having like an epic season. You can't discount that. And then, well, how much is Santana worth on the days that he doesn't pitch and all this? It opened up layers of the conversation. My only exception was you saying, not only is this so boring that I'm not going to participate, it's so boring. I need to let the world know that I'm not participating. I, I'm like, okay, dude, fine. Then you go sit over in that corner. By the way, I still feel exactly the same way, <laughs> and I do not apologize. 